Welcome to the College Football Playoff Show, where college football playoff contenders earn the right to be discussed and where the playoff never ends. Now, here are your hosts, Doug Maurice and Shahan Jeharaja. Welcome back. Thanks to you guys for joining us again. It's Doug and Shahan on the Playoff Show. We always start off with a team that is going to enter the discussion or not. We are approaching the start of the season, so we've run through some teams, Shahan. And most of the teams we've let in, you have not wanted to let some of them in, but we let them in anyway. So we did Oregon last week. We've done Notre Dame and Texas A&M and Georgia and Iowa State. We've had a lot of fun letting teams in. North Carolina is up this week. Mac Brown, Sam Howell, we always start off a one-minute presentation of the pros and cons of why this team should join our playoff discussion. Then we get into it more. Second half of the pod, we rank all the contenders by something specific this week, quarterbacks. Again, if you've been with us from the start, we're so grateful. If you're new, maybe you heard our commercial. Hey, come join the pod. Awesome. Thanks for being here. Maybe your friend told you. If you're listening and you haven't told a friend, tell a friend. Because this is what we do every week. And once it gets to the season, Shahan, I mean, it is a little harder to do a playoff show in July. Let's be honest about that. It gets better when there's football. It gets better when there's a game. So I'm super excited for that to happen. We're going to do Cincinnati next week. And that will be the last team we decide whether to add or not. But we start with the North Carolina Tar Heels. And for the first time, I am arguing the pro. Because I naturally am a negative, nasty, horrible person. You have a sunny disposition. We let you be nice. We make me be, not make me be mean. We let me be mean. (laughs) We unleash Doug. (laughs) I mean, I am what I am. But by texter request, they wanted to see negative Shahan. So I'll start why North Carolina should join the college football playoff discussion. And it's this. It's Justin Herbert. You have to start with Sam Howell when you start with North Carolina. He's one of the best quarterbacks in the country. But I went back through and said, well, okay, we've often had quarterbacks who are among the best in the country. But so what? So I looked at some of the quarterbacks who have been drafted recently and what they did in their last college year. Jared Goff, 8-5 and five at Cal his last college year. So what? Mitch Trubisky at North Carolina, 8-5 and five his last year. Patrick Mahomes, best quarterback we've seen in a long time, 5-7 and seven his last year at Texas Tech. Does that mean Texas Tech was a playoff contender because they had Patrick Holmes? No. Josh Rosen at UCLA before he was a first-round pick, 6-7. and seven. Lamar Jackson, awesome, last year at, at Louisville, 8-5. and five. Daniel Jones at Duke, top 10 pick, 8-5 and five his last year. But Justin Herbert at Oregon, in 2019, Oregon goes 12-2. and two. They win the Rose Bowl. They win the Pac-12. They got upset late in the year. They should have made the playoff. They finished sixth in the playoff ranking. And the difference was Justin Herbert was exceptional, but he had some dudes. Panay Sewell won the Outland Trophy. And North Carolina has enough dudes. They lost a lot of skill guys, but they have enough dudes. They have their whole offensive line back. They have 10 starters back on defense. They've recruited at a higher level lately that it is not just Sam Howell. So I get it. If you're Jared Goff and you're kind of on your own, that's hard to do. I don't think you can make the entire case around Sam Howell and that's it, Shahan, because we've seen great quarterbacks at schools where that's not enough. But he's so good, and I think they do have enough with the starters back, with the offensive line, with the inc- better recruiting under Mac Brown and a coach who's been there before. It's not just Sam Howell, and that is exactly why they deserve to be in the playoff conversation. 
Yeah, that's that's a great case for sure. I mean, when you when you have two running backs uh, who return with over a thousand yards and four receivers with over two hundred fifty, wait, no, they they lose mm. all those guys. Oh, they, so they, so negative Shahan <laughs> is sarcastic Shahan. Okay, we're getting a read on this. Yeah. Oh, their leading receiver coming back, Garrett Walston, with two hundred fifty five receiving yards. So this is an offense that was fully built around explosive plays. And they had the guys to do it. All four of those guys that I mentioned, Deami Brown, Daz Newsom, Javante Williams, Michael Carter, all high NFL draft picks. These were not just anybody's. These were dudes. And all four of them are gone. And, and so if you're going to ask Sam Howell to, to replicate a top three in college football explosive play rate, that's a lot to ask for me. And defensively, if we were to rank them on our list, they'd either be last or second last. I, I mean, they gave up uh, nearly 30 points a game, 5.8 yards per play, more than 400 yards per game. So and then on top of that, you have to mention they went eight and four last year. They did lose three conference games. They did lose some games that they shouldn't have lost. And by the way, at the end of all of this, if we get through all this, let, let's say that they get through 12 and 0, which I don't think that they're going to do. Well, then you got to play Clemson. So, yeah, the path is hard. The pieces to me are worse. And you're asking Sam Howell to, like you said, to me, this argument is, yes, it is Sam Howell. It's going to be on Sam Howell. If Sam Howell doesn't lead you to a, uh, a playoff appearance, then it's not going to happen. And I just don't see that happening. I knew you were going to bring up the thing about the four guys who left. I mean, it is. It's like their whole offense. They lost 65% yep, yep. of their receiving yardage and with those four guys and 85% of their rushing yardage with those four guys. Mm. They had some dudes last year, Shahan. They had some dudes. And that is hard to get past. So as we present the two sides of that, that is where you have to go. But I do think, Shahan, as we now start discussing this, and we're going to discuss it in the tiers that we always talk about, are they a national title contender? What's the big roadblock? And then how do you really feel about it before we vote? Shahan gets a vote. I get a vote. And our texters, if you want to get a vote, 817-442-6789, you get to vote on this. I will tell you, it's razor thin. It is razor thin, as it has been with some of these recent weeks, really close on whether the Texters think North Carolina deserves to be in this discussion or not. I looked before we came on. It may have even changed because sometimes late votes come in. Changed last time. It did. It, so like it, it, I, I do think they're right on the edge, but they do have a couple guys like this. Josh Downs guy is, is a top 200 uh, recruit recently that I think could step in at receiver and maybe be a guy. And I do think, I mean, the running backs were legit. I think some of the receiver stuff, I think Sam Howell makes you, makes guys look good. Now, Diami Brown was, he's a deep threat. They, they bomb away, man. It's like, you can fall and do, maybe you did it, Shahan. You can fall and do a, hi, a highlight hole of Sam Howell, just throwing 50 yarders and dropping it in the bucket. And I'm not saying anybody could do that, but he will make, Deep threats look good if you can get a step on a guy. So the, I think the key question, because we both said, right, it, it, the question is, okay, it starts with Sam Howell, and then is do they have enough around him or not? But, like, Sam Howell is kind of a sure thing. How, like, how good, and we'll if, he, if they make it, we have to rank him with the other quarterbacks. To me, as I think about this, I think he might be so good that with this ACC schedule, and there are not a ton of huge roadblocks. They got they have Notre Dame in the middle of the year. They have Miami in the middle of the year. They play them back-to-back with a bye week in between. And then, as you said, Clemson would be waiting most likely in the ACC championship game. I think Howell is special, man. And 
he's going to have decent protection with the whole offensive line back. Like, is this guy special, special that he can come fairly close to doing it by himself? In the ACC, the answer is probably. I don't think that their schedule is very good. They are in the coastal side of that conference, and coastal is, uh, again, not very good. The one thing that I will say, though, is that even with that kind of schedule last year, they still weren't world beaters. And I do think there is an aspect of it that comes back to what I said about Oregon last week, of it being not an if, but when. When is North Carolina going to reach a critical mass of where they can actually compete with Clemson? I just don't know if it's right now. I mean, so last year you go and lose at Virginia by three points. You lose at Florida State, and this was not a good Florida State team. And then you do lose to Texas A&M in the bowl game, and I believe I'm missing one. Uh, oh, and you lose to Notre Dame. That's, you know, whatever. That's not a big deal. But I think that one of the things about being a playoff contender is I have to feel relatively confident that you're not going to drop one that you're not supposed to. Or at yep. least if you do lo- lose one that you're not supposed to, it's only one. You kind of can let it sit there. And looking at the schedule, the only... I mean, I, I don't see a game that they, quote-unquote, should lose other than maybe at Notre Dame. Like, that's the one test, maybe. So that's 11 games that you go through that are games that, quote-unquote, you shouldn't lose. I, I just wish I had a little more confidence in the rest of the team around Sam Howell that they were going to be able to go through and do that. Yeah, it's... I mean, I think you could subscribe to the idea of, like, last year was a warm-up, and they sure. learned from some of those games they shouldn't have lost... And Howell is back. But I also think you could subscribe to that as great as Howell is, they might be caught in between because last year they had these four really good skill guys, as you said. Yeah. They lost all of them and they have been recruiting really well on the defensive side of the ball. And as you said, I think those defensive guys are coming, but they're really young. They have some top 100 national players on the defensive line who are true freshmen this year that how much of a difference are they going to make? But you could see like a year from now or two years from now where the defense is much better. And it's possible that while this is peak quarterback, they are right in between a skill position gap and a defense gap where they are not peaking as a program. And they have another guy. This uh, is Drake May, I think is his name, right? Who is like a, Top 100 national recruit at quarterback, Drake May from North Carolina. He's the number 56 overall player in the class of 2021. The number nine overall quarterback, like he might be the guy that if he's the guy that takes over for Sam Howell, who reaps the benefits of a more complete program on both sides of the ball. And while they're experienced on defense, they're experienced on the offensive line. Is the talent level all the way there to where it's going to be? Probably not. And I think your point of like, it's coming, like, unfortunately for Sam Howell, it just might not be this year, I I think is a somewhat compelling case. Yeah. And I do want to point out, right, that their big issue last year on the defensive side of the ball, just moving to that end, was their past defense. And you mentioned getting an influx of talent. So you'll have a couple guys who might be freshmen who might be able to contribute right away. You have some guys from previous classes who are just going to be older because they do have a very young defensive line. Yeah. And the other side of that is that... They have two cornerbacks that could be really, really good. Storm Duck missed a lot of last year. And yes, his name is Storm Duck, which is just amazing. Uh, But, you know, he missed a lot of last year, was really good as a freshman. He should come back and be one of the better cornerbacks in uh, in the ACC. And the guy you have across from him is Tony Grimes, who's one of the best recruits that North Carolina has ever gotten. So I have a reasonable amount of confidence 
that their cornerback rotation is going to end up being a lot better and that their pass defense will improve. I just don't know whether it's enough to offset losing four guys who were drafted in the NFL draft and, and three of whom were drafted in the first four rounds too. Yeah. And, and some of those guys, I mean, and again, this is to their credit. It, it was a kind of a different kind of program. Most of those guys who were drafted, I think only one of the four was like a top 200 national recruit. That was a lot of yeah. development, right? That all, yeah. all no, the they've done a them. great job, but you look the last few years, 20 again, Mac Brown first year is 2019, 2018, two players in the top 200 in their recruiting class, 2019, one player in the top of the top 200 players in the country in their recruiting class. 2020, six top 200 players. 2021, six top 200 players. But you're talking about freshmen and sophomores. Right. So, like, are they going to be ready to carry you right now? But, like, they are coming on the defensive line. Like, they they, they are – you can see it coming. It just, it just might be a year early. But one of the things we talk about, again, first category, are they a national title contender – so, of course, I think the answer is is no, except if the first and second year guys pop, listen, you know, it's, Ohio State's a reference point for me a lot. 2014, it was second year guys that led Ohio State's national championship team. Joey Bosa and Ezekiel Elliott and Vaughn Bell and Darren Lee, they were second year guys. So second year guys could pop. That's not insane. And if a, And you add a couple first year guys into it. If they get that talent pop and then Sam Howell's like the best quarterback in the country... In a, in, a, in a world, Shahan, where we're not sure about the quarterback play at a lot of the premier programs, I'll give them a sliver of a national title because it's like, all right, we'll get him in the playoff and let Sam Howell cook and let's see what happens. I would, if I'm going to consider them a playoff contender, I'll also consider them a dark horse national title contender based on there is a the recruiting has raised up, and if it pops early enough and howls the real deal, then yes, I think I I I'm not picking them, but I think they're as good of a dark horse dark horse national title contender I think as any team in the country. Yeah, and, and when you do have a quarterback like that, and when you have an offense like that, it puts you a little more in the conversation than you would be because. Your ceiling is raised. I mean, there's no other way to say it, right? Your ceiling is raised when you have a quarterback as good as Sam Howell. Yes. I think I'm just worried about their floor. That's probably more my question because you mentioned all these great guys who ended up being top NFL draft picks and Patrick Mahomes was a guy in the state of Texas. I, I covered for a long time and and look, when it when it doesn't work, it doesn't work, right? Yeah. When, when you've got a defense now, they're not going to have a mid-2010s Texas Tech defense, but, you know, this this hasn't been a good unit as yet. And... I really like their defensive coordinator, Jay Bateman. I think he did a tremendous job at Army, but but going from Army to going to to coordinating alongside Phil Longo on the on offense, it's just it's a different sport, right? It's a different sport to have to defend that many plays. And the other thing, too, that worries me a little about Sam Howell is that, again, I mean, he was so dependent on explosive plays. That's not to say that he won't still create them because you have to create them in college football. That's just part of the deal. but. When you don't have those sure things at receiver and running back, especially because, like we mentioned, I mean, they had both of their running backs as 25 reception guys, you know, guys who yep. were legit factors. It's just it's hard for me to be 100 percent sure that you're going to have the kind of guys that can create explosive plays, because 
I mean, that's that's Sam Howell's best trait. That's probably the thing that he does better than anybody else in college football. And I mean, this is that he throws that deep ball. Will they be able to get separation? Will they be able to to break free? It does help, like you mentioned, that they have five offensive linemen back. But it's just tough for me to know whether I can trust the, their receivers enough, considering that they're unknown guys to really say, OK, yeah, they have a national title case. Yeah, there, there's again, having, you know, dug in on all the quarterbacks for contenders, the, the deep ball that Sam Howell throws is I mean, it, it, Spencer Rattler is probably the only guy in range. I mean, it's it's so much better yeah. than what other guys yeah. do. I mean, it, we'll get into some guys, but like, you know, JT Daniels is throwing some balls last year and like he underthrows almost every deep ball he yeah. throws. And no, Sam Howell is hitting well guys floats. in stride. Yeah. yeah. 100%. He's hitting guys in stride every time. So, okay. You say no national title contender. I say I could see a dark horse edge of it. Roadblock. Sometimes the roadblock is a position. Sometimes it's a certain, you know, side of the ball. Sometimes it's the schedule. I don't think it's the schedule. At Virginia Tech, Georgia State, Virginia, at Georgia Tech, Duke, Florida State, Miami, bye week, at Notre Dame, Wake Forest, at Pitt, Wafford, at NC State. Like, I, I that to me is a schedule. And again, it doesn't really get challenging to the middle of the year. Yes, they lost some games last year they shouldn't lose. It feels like it might be a schedule that will give a young defense time to figure it out a little bit, that will give some young skill guys time to figure it out a little bit. And I could see them being a much better team by the time they get to Miami and Notre Dame. It, I guess I think maybe my roadblock will be what you said, that if we ranked them defensively against the other contenders, they might have the worst defense. I think that's probably the biggest thing. But the schedule, Shahan, I think is about as favorable as it could be for a program like this. Yeah, and, and the flips, the one flip side to that that I'll say is that team that you have to play in the ACC title game because you probably have to beat Clemson to have a chance right. to play in the college football playoff. So I think that something I'll build off of is I think that youth might end up being a big deal for them because, yep. like you mentioned, uh, 12 guys who were top 200 kids in the last two classes, but they are kids who are in the last two classes. And I, I understand the the comparison to Ohio State, but these aren't that level of kids for the most part. Uh, and, and the other thing, too, is that they're not necessarily all at those positions. You know, you're still kind of waiting for the defensive lineman to come along. I mean, th- these are freshmen most likely who are going to be contributing on the defensive line, not even sophomores. And, uh, you know, and, and that does give me some hope at receiver, for example. I mean, I think they're going to probably find some guys at receiver, but, but, you know, this is a young team. And especially when you get into the grind of a playoff race, I mean, it's a lot to ask to week in and week out as the schedule gets a little bit tougher and you play against the Notre Dames and the Miamis. And even as, as you have to go to Pitt, as you have to go to North Carolina state, like these are games that they should win. But it's just a lot of pressure where you're basically every single week in the second half of the year having to basically play a playoff game to just stay in contention. So I would say that that youth is going to be really interesting to see because you have that one guy who's been around and the rest of the roster, you don't really have that. You can see. So I think a couple of guys, the the freshman, true freshman on the defensive line, Keyshawn Silver and Javari Ritzy are the two guys that it feels like people think they could contribute. Yeah. As two as two guys on the on the defensive line right away. And then you look at the guys, the second year guys, those six guys who were top 200 national recruits and look led by Tony Grimes. It looks like four of the six are projected starters. Right. Mm-hmm. So that, so some of those guys are going to get a shot. 
I do think there were times that, listen, Texas A&M in the bowl game, a lot of guys opted out for North Carolina. Sam Howell was trying to do it kind of by himself in that game. Yeah. The Notre Dame game, I thought, was reflective a little bit. They hung right with Notre Dame for the first, in the first half. They were right there. And then in the second half, Notre Dame defensively really got after Sam Howell, and they they pulled away. And it felt just like, okay, that's just talent difference. That's just across the board, 1 through 22, 1 through 44 talent where – Sam Howell and some skilled dudes can let you hang around for a half, but then Notre Dame just overwhelmed them. Will Notre Dame do that again? Like, cause again, Notre Dame's going from Ian book to Jack Cohn, you know, Notre Dame still has Kyle Hamilton, but they don't have Jeremiah Wusu Koromoa. Like, so I, I just, whereas, you know, again, North Carolina has got Sam Howell back at the, the roadblock. I do think so. I think I would agree with you whether we want to say it's the defense or the youth because a lot of the youth is on the defense. I think it's kind of the same thing. But I do think it's possible it pops. To your point, yes, this is not Joey Bosa. But there are some guys. There are a couple guys. And if you tell me that Tony Grimes is the next coming of Derek Stingley Jr. and it's like the ACC figures out like you can't throw on that guy. Like, and that happens now, or that happens by the middle of the season. And De'Eric King is like, man, I can't, right? I think that's possible. I'm looking upside of like, should we keep them around to talk about them? I can see the roadblock, Shahan, but at least I can envision the upside, right? And to me, that matters. And I think that it's almost like the conversation that we had about Oregon last week, where we're just, we see the pieces and we're waiting for it to come together. I just think that Oregon's probably a little further along in that process. But the flip side is that uh, Oregon doesn't have Sam Howell. Yes. And and that is like, I mean, that is, that is quite a flip side, man. Like that is again, not to be critical, but it's like the trying to do this with Anthony Brown versus trying to do this with Sam Howell. Cause he can move. Yeah. He's athletic. He can move. He can do some stuff with his feet. He drops it in the bucket. Like he, he, he's really, He's I, good. He's, he's real really, good. I mean, it's like, uh, uh, Sam, <laughs> welcome to the college football playoff show where we make declarations like Sam Howell is good. I will tell you he's my Heisman pick. Now mm. he's not going to win the Heisman if they're not good. Yeah. But I don't think they all, I don't think they have to make the playoff for him to win the Heisman. I think they have to be in the conversation, yeah. right? You're, you're in the conversation that matters all year. And then maybe you go 11 and one or 12 and oh, and you're, or, I mean, you're, 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 yeah, you're 12 and 0 or you're 11 and 1. You're number 5, you're number 7, whatever. And yeah, it's like being if they top beat, 10's enough. And if you beat Clemson, you're in the playoff, and if you don't beat Clemson, you're not. And then you don't beat Clemson, and then you're 11th in the playoff rankings, but Sam Howell's been on everybody's mind all year and you're like, "Well, he's the best quarterback." And it's kind of a quarterback award anymore. I think there's a conversation for that. That's not this isn't the Heisman show, but I think it's possible. All right. High level, medium level, low level of how we feel about this team and their ability to be in the conversation. Before we reveal our vote, again, we each get a vote and the texters get a vote. Again, it's razor thin. I just updated it. Still razor thin. What's your level of confidence in how you feel, Shahan? I'd say it's low. Um, I, I Like you said, there's a lot of unknown factors just because of the guys that they lost and also just the youth that they bring back. So I think I'm in the low camp. Okay. I am actually in the high camp because I am pretty set on the vision that I can imagine, right? And and I do think the discussion is not can 
it's not even a discussion of like, are they going to stay in the discussion the whole year? It's like, should they be in it now? Do they deserve to be talked about on this podcast now for a while? So I feel pretty good about where I am on them. So let's get to it. I'll go first this time. Okay. I'm putting them in because I think the quarterback is that good. And I can see the upside of the young guys, and I'm going to give them the chance to pop. I do believe there's certainly the possibility that they are a year away where if you have kind of these two big-time classes, you'd rather them be second-year and third-year guys than first-year and second-year guys. But I'm going to leave that possibility open. You said you like the defensive coordinator. I think maybe they learn from some of the games they weren't supposed to lose last year. And I think the schedule sets up to let them figure some stuff out in the first four or five weeks. And then it's you're trying to beat Miami and Notre Dame. And I don't think that's too tall of an order. And so if that's what it is, if I think you can beat Miami and Notre Dame, well, then I want you in the discussion before those games. Because if you beat them, you're definitely in. But I don't need to wait for you to prove that. I don't need you to beat Miami and Notre Dame to finally enter the discussion. I want you in now. And you know what? Then if you get your if you get your doors blown off by Clemson and the ACC championship game, well, I'm glad we talked about you all year. So I will say I want them in. Now, let's go to the Texters next. Because, Shahan, it is razor thin. What is your guess on the texters, yes or no, Shahan? I'm going to guess that they say no. 51% to 49% no. Wow. So that, I think, we had a week where it was 52-48. This is 51-49. It's as close as you can get. They, They don't want them. So I get it. We've covered the arguments on both sides, which means... It's down to you. Your vote will determine whether North Carolina is in the playoff discussion or not. So before we get into this, so part of this is asking when could they get into the discussion if they weren't in it, right? Right, right. And I do think for me, and, and I might be alone in this, I do think that September 3rd game against Virginia Tech going to be on national TV. Everybody's going to be watching. It's going to be a big deal. If they come out and just drill Virginia Tech into the ground, that's enough for me. I, I just need to see a proof of concept, I feel like, to feel really good about it. Uh, the flip side is, if we put them in, it might be until October 16th before we really even have a chance to reevaluate them. Which, which makes this tough. Which makes this tough. This is part of why it was low for me. But... I'm tired of the textures overturning my vote, so I'm going to stick with them. They are out. (laughs) That is the decision on the North Carolina Tar Heels. They will not be part of our college playoff discussion right now, at least in the preseason. We'll see if they can earn their way back in. For the listeners, I mean, again, if you've been here from the start or if you just joined us, once we get into the season, we're going to be kicking a team out every week and adding a team every week. We will never get above 12. But as long as we don't have 12 teams that we're talking about, there's room, I think, to even to add more than one at times. But we also will be on alert. We might we are ready to kick a team. I think actually we will kick a team out every week, no matter what. We just might add more than one. So North Carolina will have a chance to get in. The Penn State Wisconsin winner in week one will have a chance to get in. There's some other USC who also. So North Carolina, now the second team to not get in after a discussion. Maybe USC will do something to get in. So North Carolina is on alert. Um I know what you're saying, because I do think like if they 
if we put them in and like they beat Virginia Tech like 28-20 and they look okay and then they play a bunch of bad teams, it's like, well, they're 5-0. and Right. And it's like, we keep talking about them, but it's like, man, they barely beat Georgia Tech this week. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, and I, I think that for me, if they go out and they win against Virginia Tech, you know, a good team, not a great team, but again, on national TV, on the road, in a great environment, if they do all that and they win by three or four touchdowns, then I'm ready, right? But I do think that we will have that test case week one because beating them, 28-20 is not doing it for me, right? Like, yep. that's just not enough for me to be excited about this team. And this is still a team that lost four games last year and lost two games that they really, really had no business losing. So right. I just want to see them play against some teams that are pretty good. Even that Virginia game on September 18th, if they drill them into the ground, if they show that they're dominant, especially if they can show some defensive dominance, it'll make me feel a whole lot better about it. So I do think that there are opportunities in the first month alone for North Carolina to play its way into the conversation I, I just don't know that I've seen enough to have them there now. And apologies also to Mac Brown and Sam Howell. You also got caught up in in Shahan's personal vendetta to finally have the texters agree with him because he was tired of being outvoted for the last couple of weeks. So I think that might I could see you. It felt like you were deciding in the moment and you were like, I'm tired of losing. And so so Mac Brown, you know, got it from you. Okay. So when we come back. We are going to rank the quarterbacks of the playoff contenders. And we're also going to say where we would have put Sam Howell because he's not in there. Yes. And, you know, he's pretty good. We'll do that next on the College Football Playoff Show. So you earn your spot here, Shahan, as we rank the quarterbacks for the teams that are contenders. There are nine instead of ten. And the Texters also ranked. I'm going to do the Texter rankings as well because we asked them, does North Carolina deserve to be in or not? We also said, hey, rank the quarterbacks also. 817-442-6789 if you want to get to do that. Where did you have Sam Howell? Because we have to prepare in case a team is is ushered in. Did you have Sam? Where was Sam Howell on your list? He was number two on my list. I had him first. Yeah, yeah. I, I, which uh, the way I've been talking about him, he's third for the Texters. Yeah. I do think he's the best quarterback in college football. There's something about him. You know, it's obviously between Rattler and Howell. Rattler's a little more nimble. Right. I mean, he'll dance around a little bit, um, but Howell still can run. And I just thought the deep ball, the deep ball is just extraordinary for Sam Howell. So that's what put him over the top. But that's all we'll talk about him because you didn't make it. Sorry, we're not going to talk about you. So we'll go to the bottom of our list, Shahan, as we now rank these nine quarterbacks. We always start at the bottom. We don't have to spend that much time on them, but who is ninth on the list for you? And again, for the people who are listening, these are the teams that we are that are in the playoff mix right now for us. Oklahoma, Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, Georgia, Texas A&M, Notre Dame, Iowa State and Oregon. Those are the nine. So we are ranking the, the starting quarterbacks for those teams. Who was ninth for you, Shahan? So the, this bottom two is very easy for me. Uh, ninth, I've got Anthony Brown. We talked about him a lot last week at Oregon. I, I mean, I think he's probably the biggest question mark on that team. Uh, I really think that that freshman quarterback who came in c- could have a chance to come in and win the job at some point during the season and probably would raise the ceiling of the team. Uh, just not a very accurate passer. He does some things with his legs in a way that a lot of other quarterbacks on this list don't. But it's just a big question mark for me. And who'd you have eight? I had Jack Cohn eighth. Okay. That's also my nine and my eight. Yeah. And yeah. they are just, they're both transfers. They're both kind of placeholders. 
I I think sort of in between some stuff, you know, like Herbert's been gone two years now, but this is like between Ian Book and what comes next at Notre Dame with the recruit. This is between figuring stuff out and what comes next at Oregon. It's what the transfer portal is for. It's to help these teams sort of like patch a hole, but they're both patching a quarterback hole this year. And like the other teams are not. The other teams in this list either have a dude or they have a young guy who's going to be a multi-year starter for them, most likely. And that's just not where Oregon and Notre Dame are. And it's why, Shahan, I mean, it is, I think we're Oregon and Notre Dame, two of the teams that you voted out and the Texas and I voted in. And I think you would point at this list and say, see, this is what I'm talking about, right? I mean, this is, it's hard to get away from that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, the, the note that I wrote down for Jack Cohn was, Basically, he's awesome as long as you don't ask him to do anything, because he when he was asked to make any kind of play at Wisconsin, that's when things kind of went bad because he did complete basically 70 percent of his passes. He threw for over twenty seven hundred yards, 18 touchdowns, five interceptions. But a crazy amount of that production came against teams that were not very good. Once he played teams that were any good, his completion percentage dropped 11 percent versus in games against ranked opponents and the other thing, too, is that pro football focus rated him as having, and this is in 2019 at Wisconsin again, more turnover worthy plays than big time throws, which big time throws they they regard as like, you know, down the field throws that are placed correctly. It doesn't matter if they're actually caught. It's based more on placement and stuff like that. So get more turnover worthy plays than big time throws. Yep. So, again, it's just th- that's not how you win football games in 2021. They're, they're both both those teams. If they're going to make a run of the playoff, they're going to try to do it with defense and maybe some skill guys in the run game or whatever, making plays offensive line. They're, they're just looking for game manager stuff from the quarterbacks. And I don't, I don't think anybody else is, I think everybody else on this list is even if the guy's an experience, you can see the upside. And again, the upside matters in a conversation like this. So we agree. Anthony Brown, nine, Jack Cohn, eight, who Jeff seven. I had Haynes King seven. So I do think that he has, and I text a by the way, for people who don't know, I, I do think that there's upside for him to move up this list. The thing that kept him behind the rest of the field a little bit for me was less about what I think Haynes can, can do. And it's more, I feel like he has less to work with and he's going to be playing in a more difficult offense. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know how much I expect from him in day one. Now a year down the road, I think that he could be really high on this list. All the talent is there, but I, I just am a little worried about his context. He's in this group of second-year guys, big-time recruits, second-year guys that a lot of these playoff contenders are relying upon. I know rewatch, and again, a, a lot of these guys, there's not much more to go on than the spring game. So in rewatching the Texas A&M spring game, like they're talking about how fast he is. He's one of the fastest guys on the team. He's a little slingy. Like I lied it. He, like you can see how he throws. He's a little like kind of, I don't know, zippy. He's like zippy and fast and slingy and raw. Like there's a lot of rawness with them. Yeah. But just like with a lot of these guys, you can see how it could hit. Yes. But is it going to hit in year one as a starter, like right now? And by the way, like as we record this on Tuesday, the job's not confirmed. Right. Yet, right? We right. think, you know, Ohio State, for instance, settled its quarterback competition on this past Saturday. Ryan Day announced that C.J. Stroud's going to be the starter. This feels like, and I guess I don't know that Oregon has officially, officially announced, but like Anthony Brown is such a veteran, it's going to be him. Notre Dame officially announced Jack Cohn. Multiple places did have quarterback competitions. Texas A&M is taking this a little longer towards the start of the season, which, you know, competition is good. I don't, I don't know if that's great. You know, like if Haynes King was like slamming the door, I'm the guy. 
The upside is there, but again, there's a lot to like about Texas A&M as a national title contender. And if Kellen Mond was back, you might be writing their ticket into the final four, but there's just a lot that's going to hinge on this. And you can, there's a lot to like, but it just feels so raw that it's, it's kind of hard to imagine it really all coming together sort of at a championship level this year. Yeah. And that's the big thing. He's going to be more of a gunslinger than Kellen Mond was, but I don't think people realize how accurate Kellen Mond was as a senior and how few mistakes he made. I mean, really, even the the interceptions he had weren't his fault. Like you had a quarterback in this system that basically didn't make mistakes. And this kid's going to make mistakes. That's just going to be part of the deal. You might get more explosive plays, might get some bigger time plays. And the other thing, though, too, is that I don't love the receivers. We talked about that a while back, that I don't love their pass catchers. Jalen Weidermeyer at tight end is a big time player. Caleb Chapman's coming back from an ACL injury and like, you know, I don't know. Is, is DeMond Demons going to finally play football for Texas A&M? I have no idea. So just with all of that combined, I, I just feel like they're not going to ask him to do very much because I think they're going to be trying to scheme around some of his weaknesses. Yeah, no, I think that makes a lot of sense. Did you have in, in sort of separating tiers here? I would say that I had Conan Brown at the bottom and then yeah. I had King at the bottom of this yeah. other tier but is that how you thought of it yeah yeah i'd say so i'd say so okay all right so then who do you have sixth i have brock purdy from iowa state sixth early in his career i thought that he had the potential to be like a big time quarterback and he's been very very good for iowa state but he's kind of transformed himself into more of a game manager he he turns over the ball a little less than he used to but his deep ball has been a real issue for them part of that i'll mention is that again their receiver play isn't amazing they're they're a very tight end driven offense and they really only have one guy in Xavier Hutchinson who stretches the field for them but I mean he completed just 15 of 46 passes beyond 20 yards uh eight big time throws versus nine turnover worthy plays and 182 of his completions were less than 10 yards compared to 60 beyond 10 yards so like he has been fine you know he, he's been yeah. fine I I do think that there's another level there I just don't know that he's going to reach it. You know, I, I early in his career again, he was a much bigger time thrower and it seems like maybe they've told him to settle down. The personnel's changed a little bit. They don't have a guy uh, like, like I believe it was uh, Hakeem Butler who they had early in his career. If they develop one of those guys, one of those big receivers who can go downfield, maybe it changes things, but we just haven't seen it in a while. So the way that I thought about this and just to be clear, and it's the way I sent it to the tech subscribers is like, who would you take for this year? Yeah. Right, that you're, you're a team that's trying to win the playoff. Who would you take for this year? So then there's a lot of ways you can go with that. It's like, well, what if you took Brock Purdy and put him on Ohio State where they throw into Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, right? I mean, I don't know. Seems however good. You, yeah, like however you want to do it is fine. There's a, there's a lot of different ways you can try to analyze something like this. I did have Purdy higher because, and it's a direct contrast of like, well, are you taking Haynes King, CJ Stroud, DJ Uyunglele, Bryce Young, who have basically barely played, right. but are big-time recruits? Or are you taking the guy who's been around a long time and thinking like, well, I know he's at least solid, and I think maybe he can still get a little better. So I actually have Purdy third okay. on my okay. list, which is interesting because we're a little flipped here. I'm often the potential guy, yeah. and you're often a little more the sure thing guy. Yeah, this He's a pretty sure thing for what he is. Yeah. And the thing that helped me, I, I, he can move a little bit. 
He can do a little bit for you in the run game. If something there is up the middle, he'll take it. He can throw on the run a little bit. And I don't know if this should count, but I feel like it's possible the best connection between a quarterback and a pass catcher on this list is Brock Purdy and Charlie Kolar. Sure. And there's another player that I'm going to talk about a lot that's a pass catcher in terms of a quarterback. And I don't know how to account for that, but it's like Brock Purdy is really good at throwing to that guy. Yeah. And that guy is really good at getting open so that Brock Purdy can get in the ball. And that is a, that's a lot. Mm-hmm. Like that guy might be the best tight end in the country and Purdy knows how to use him. So in a world of like, I'm not sure what to think about the guys who have never played like that elevated him. And if you took Charlie Kohler off the roster, maybe I wouldn't have Brock Purdy third. But he is on the roster. So that influenced my thinking, but it's mostly a sure thing versus unknown. And you and I are a little flipped on this, I think, compared to where we often are. Fifth. Wait, so so who, you, who did you so, have sixth? Okay, so I have sixth. This is controversial. This okay, is controversial. Okay. I have Bryce Young sixth. I had him fifth. He was next to my list. So he's the number one recruit. He's a higher ranked recruit than either CJ Stratt or DJ Uyungle. They're the three best quarterbacks in Texas, in California and in the country two years ago. He is not as natural a thrower as the other two guys. No. And he, he is so good on the move. And again, it's a lot of high school highlights if you're trying to evaluate this guy, plus the Alabama spring game. He is so good on the move. He reminds me of Braxton Miller a little bit at Ohio State, that he's just like he's electric. He's like a running back on the move. But I, in in digging, and I've, of course I've seen highlights of him, but in trying to dig in on him for this, I was a little surprised at how unnatural as a thrower he seemed for a guy who was a five-star recruit, number one quarterback in the country. And when you think about what Alabama has done, now listen, Tua was a great athlete, but a lot of the Alabama quarterback success is bing, bang, boom, as exemplified by Mac Jones last year. I don't see him being a bing, bang, boom in rhythm guy. It feels like he's going to create a lot of stuff on his own. And I can just see that being an awkward fit at Alabama this year. Not that he's not going to be a great player, but I think I could see him taking more time to grow into it than some of the other young guys. So I did not go in expecting to have Bryce Young this low, but that's like why I have him behind a guy like Brock Purdy. Cause I, I really think it's possible that like the Bryce Young thing does really does not hit this year and that it will, but that really might be an adjustment period for him. Yeah. I mean, I, I primarily watched their, their eight day spring game, like you mentioned to, to try to get a feel for him. And I was surprised for sure how unnatural the ball looks coming out of his hands. He has like a really long delivery. He kind of goes overhand with it a little bit and, and yeah, he just doesn't look and, and this might just be our eyes, but he doesn't look super comfortable back there. Yeah. And and I, I almost do think it's interesting. I mean, I, I'd be curious talking to some of the, the more recruiting guys about what they saw with him because he can throw it right. Like he obviously can throw the ball downfield. It comes out of his hands pretty well once he gets through that motion uh, and, and it does launch downfield. I get that part of it. But I also didn't love his decision making, even though it was right. just the spring game. I, he was throwing into traffic a whole lot. Uh, he definitely made some wrong reads at time a couple of times, which, you know, that's that's just part of football. But like, I don't know, I, I wasn't as impressed as I thought I was going to be with him. And especially when I came back and watched the other uh, the other guys, you know, the other guys who haven't played. I, I just 
feel like they looked more natural with that. They, I, I don't want to fall into these, tra- but you know, like they looked more like quarterbacks. They, and whereas Bryce Young at this point looked a little bit more like a thrower. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree. I, I was curious. I didn't know if you would have, you know, Bryce Young second, you know, that, I that, that, but that we're both kind of, and he, he's just little, I mean, and again, yeah. everybody knows this, but he's, he's six foot one ninety five at Bama. DJ's like, yeah. At Clemson is like six four, six five, like two forty. Yeah. It's yeah. just a, it's just a completely. It's like Kyler Murray versus Ben Roethlisberger. It's just a completely different thing. But like in that direct comparison, for the two best programs, they were the one and two quarterbacks in their class. Yep. It just feels like DJ and even what he did against Notre Dame last year when he had to start two games. You can see how they can get him in a situation to get the ball out of his hands, make some quick throws. He's so big and physical and hard to bring down. I can see how how DJ could ease into it on his way yes. to Heisman candidacy, where Bryce's transition, I just think, might not, not be as easy on his way yep. to possible Heisman candidacy in 2022 and 2023. Right. So right. interesting that we're basically on the same page here. So again, you have Brown 9, Cone 8, King 7. We agree with those three. You have Purdy 6, Bryce Young 5. I have... Bryce Young six, so my five is C.J. Stroud. Okay, from Ohio State, won the job over Kyle McCord and Jack Miller. He's a second-year guy, was the backup quarterback, but has never thrown a pass in a college football game. Got in a couple plays last year. Ohio State, you know, missed a lot of games in the pandemic. Barely played. They like his decision making. They want him to make the routine throws. I do think the ball jumps out of his hand when you watch him, like compared to Bryce Young. He's a much easier thrower of the football. He does have pretty good size in a lot of ways. He looks a little bit like a Justin Fields Jr. with how he handles himself. I think he's learned a lot of that. I, he's not as good of an athlete as Justin Fields, and he's going to have a lot of help. The other 10 guys in Ohio State's offense, it's it's one through 10. It's It's rock solid. So he's going to have a lot of help, and they just they do want him to be a game manager. But again, you go back and watch his high school highlights. This guy can move. This guy can throw the deep ball. You can see all the things there. He's a late riser in the in the recruiting world. Doesn't get the Ohio State offer until November of his senior year. He was a late addition to the Elite Eleven camp between his junior and senior year. DJ Uyunglele pulls out. C.J. Stroud takes the spot, wins MVP, all of a sudden is on everybody's radar. He's a three-star quarterback, number 25 quarterback in his class when he wins the Elite 11 MVP and he explodes. And now here he is, Ohio State starting quarterback as a second-year guy. But I just feel like I can see more of it translating than I can with Bryce Young. So where did where did you have C.J. Stroud? I actually had him up at number three. So he was probably the guy who I changed the most on when watching some of his tape. And and again, it's it's spring game stuff. It's it you don't want to get too into the weeds with it because it is what it is. But the things that I liked about him, because I was I was very much going into this expecting to not be impressed. Cause I am very skeptical of guys who explode in the camp circuits because yes. you know I, I just feel like that's not necessarily the best way of evaluating kids. I mean, it's it's an important way of evaluating, but like, I, I don't love that way of evaluating, but you know, watching him in the spring game and just watching him throw passes under center. I, I was very impressed. The ball comes out of his hands. Like you mentioned very easily. He looks so comfortable back there. Everything looks so natural with him. And probably the reason that I did end up having him higher on this list than the guy that we'll talk about next is because 
I loved his ball placement. I, mm-hmm. I I thought that he did a great job of putting the ball where only his receiver could get it. And they didn't always come down with it, but it just it just everything felt so natural. And I did not expect that. I expected to come in and be like, yeah, CJ Stroud, he's fine. He's just kind of the guy who backed into the starting job. But like this is this guy's legit, I think. I you mentioned the Justin Fields comparison. Uh, obviously the frame and stuff kind of emphasizes that but like i do like some of the uh I, I do like some of the things that he does in terms of placing the ball in terms of making good reads and the other thing too is that you know when we're talking about projecting part of this is i do need to contextualize the offense that you're going to be playing in and the talent that you're going to be playing with so like heading into the season i think that cj stroud is also going to be in a better situation from an offense perspective where ryan day's obviously done a great job for so many years and he has such great talent versus a guy like Bryce Young or even like Brock Purdy, where I'm just not as optimistic about them having players. Well, I'm not as optimistic about anybody having as good players as what Ohio State has. But like, you know, he's going to have those guys at receiver and tight end to really give him a chance to be successful. They've got Quinn Ewers in the room. Yeah. Right. And and we've talked about that on this podcast. I, as soon as Quinn Ewers announced he was going to reclassify, very much kept open the door for Quinn Ewers yeah. like taking yeah. this job at some point this year. You know, that door, I was kind of on an island on that. Yeah. That door has closed a little bit. He's not even practicing right now. He right. has a physical issue. He only practiced for like two or three days at Ohio State. He didn't get there until mid-August. Now he's out. He's not practicing until the end of this week. He's really, really behind. I do think he'll catch up very quickly yeah. once he gets there. But I think it would also take like C.J. Stroud yeah. doing something not very well yeah. to open the door for Quinn Ewers. And then Kyle McCord's a five-star guy in that class as well. But I do, I so a lot of it is, he wasn't a guy with quarterback coaches and all that kind of stuff. Sure. Did not go to a lot of camps that recruited that contributed to him being a late riser in recruiting. But I also am on alert for exactly what you said that maybe he just hit a window and really rose. And it's like, maybe there is something there is like, Oh, well, once we get in and here we go, it's like, Oh, okay. He's not quite right. DJ or Bryce or some of these other guys. And, and I am or Spencer Rattler. I am open to that as well, but I think based on the guy never throwing a college football pass, you have him third, I have him fifth. I was super torn between fourth and fifth. Yeah. And only because of uncertainty and not seeing it did I keep him fifth. I kind of wanted to put him fourth, but I didn't. So I have CJ Stroud fifth. You have Bryce Young fifth. You have CJ Stroud third. We're both kind of at the four spot, it looks like. So who do you have fourth? I'm JT Daniels. That is also who I have fourth. So he came in from, from Georgia. Yeah, from, from Georgia. Georgia. He came in for Georgia last year, played in four games, went 4-0, completed 67% of his passes, 10 touchdowns, two interceptions. The offense jumped up to 37.3 points per game. So, like, all the signs are good, right? Like, I mean, he came in and changed a lot at Georgia. Now, he was taking over for Stetson Bennett, which, you know, cool. But uh, the flip side of that is, while watching him, I, I did see the vision. I do think he's going to be really good. The receiver stuff bothers me with Georgia. I, you know, George Pickens is going to be out for the year with an injury, and he was going to be their best receiver. Uh, they've been without a couple of receivers and tight ends in camp. But for me, when I'm just evaluating JT Daniels, too, I, I felt like his deep ball really floated. I, I really felt like it just didn't come out of his hand great. I felt like uh, a lot of it was underthrown, and, and he was playing against... He played some good teams over that stretch, but he played against a lot of not as good teams as well. I mean, he put up huge numbers against Mississippi State, for example. Uh, You know, and so 
it, it gives me a little bit of concern, I'd say. Not enough to where I'm concerned about Georgia. I think Georgia's going to be really good, and I think JT Daniels is going to be a big part of why. I just don't know, because he was a five-star kid coming out of high school. I don't know whether he has the highest end of upside like some of these other guys, just because I think that his deep ball is only okay. I thought, again, talking about who he's going to throw to, I thought George Pickens made him right a lot. Yeah, yeah. There were a lot of balls that it was like, okay, that was a little underthrown or that was not. And then George Pickens just made the play. And then he's up dancing afterwards. And, and, and the idea of like, okay, he's going to have to do that without that guy. Right. And again, how do you rank it? If George Pickens was 100% healthy, would I have JT Daniels higher? Maybe. Maybe. Maybe I would. Maybe. Because it's like it, 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 it opens his window. It opens Daniels' window to not be as perfect and be like, it's good enough. George Pickens is going to do it for you. Man, did like you watch enough JT Daniels from last year. And I watched a couple full games of every throw he made. And you just come away and you're like, Man, George Pickens is good. That is a huge loss. That <laughs> right, was like the number right, one right. thing I came away with. Right. And again, you find him in Cincinnati in the bowl game. He the mechanics on a lot of his deep throws are not there. Yeah. He like he doesn't he doesn't plant and fire. He kind of you can see his footwork's off a little bit. Maybe he got better at that because he does have a good resume. But I would have said coming into this, I would have thought Bryce Young's gonna be higher on my list and JT Daniels is gonna be higher on my list. But given all that, like I among the veteran guys, I took Purdy over Daniels, mm. like because of that, because I thought, well, at least I know Brock Purdy's rock solid. I, I don't know if JT Daniels is rock solid because he has better talent around him, but sometimes he just does not feel like he's executing sort of the fundamentals of playing the position. And if there are questions at receiver, I think that's going to show up more than it did in half a season last year. Yeah, no, I, I'm totally in agreement. I just... He throws well on the run, but he almost throws every throw like he's throwing on the run, if that makes That's sense. That's a great way to say it. You yeah. know, because because he's just always not moving. He's not planting correctly, like you said. And these are all things that are very fixable, too, by the way. So he could come out and just set up better and move around better and plant better and be able to throw these deep balls. But then then it comes back to my question of, OK, well, does Georgia have the guys to throw to then? And he is, I mean, he's, I think he's got a handle on it, right? He doesn't seem uncomfortable. It's just like, why aren't you? Yeah. Why isn't it going like, further? I, yeah. Yeah. But he really, there, there are multiple deep balls where you can just see him missing. And sometimes they get caught, but it's still like a miss. Whereas again, like Sam Howell, he doesn't miss yeah. on the deep ball. So. Yeah. Okay. So we're, we're zeroing in on the same top two here. And we really have been very similar here. Who's your two, Sean? It is DJ Uyunglele over at Clemson. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Me too. You can't get away. So Spencer, Spencer Rattler is number one yeah. for both of us. But I th- I did think in the end of, in evaluating, again, we, we have four guys from the quarterback class of 2020 here. I thought DJ was was clearly the top guy that I would believe in for this year ahead of young Stroud and King. Yeah, the, the word that came to mind with me the most when I watched him play is just powerful. Just everything that he did was so powerful, whether it was driving the ball downfield, whether it was running the ball, whether it was just standing tall in the pocket. Like he just looked like, like this. This is not fair that he's whatever, a 19 year old kid. He did not look like a 19 year old kid. He looked like a 30 year old in the pocket. And and he was just so confident uh, with his game. He was so confident with uh, with his reads. I mean, it just it just looked different. I mean, he looked like a top end quarterback right now. And 
And we have to mention, too, like last year, he he played two games, completed 69 percent of his passes, 811 yards, four touchdowns and two rush scores. So, like, I also think he has a run element to his game that I don't think anybody else on this list has. And uh, and the other thing that you mentioned, too, is that they get Justin Ross back, who was potentially an All-American receiver heading into last year. So I just look at the piece around and I do think the other part of this, too, is that they will rely a lot more on the pass game because I don't love what they have in the run game right now. And so I, I just think that DJ has a chance to be really, really special. Watching the Clemson spring game again, they had Dabo was like on the mic a lot, talked about him being a gunslinger, right? Which is a lot of this. I think there's a there's a good push and pull with a young quarterback. You want a guy who wants to take some chances and the coach is trying to rein him in and find that balance. I did think they did a great job with him, like in that Notre Dame game. Tony Elliott, the offensive coordinator, they found a lot of throws for him, throwback screens, quick little hitters, some RPO stuff where he was getting the ball out of his hand. And he had great stats against Notre Dame. I think it's 29 of 44 for 439, which is like, oh my God, it's like a true freshman doing that against Notre Dame. Now Clemson loses the game in multiple overtimes, but he did that. I don't want to take away from that, but there's a a decent number of things there where it's like, okay, well, we're going to do this, come over here and you throw a six yard pass to Travis Etienne and then he'll turn it into a 40 yard play. So, but he's also a six, four, six, five guy who could throw in rhythm and do that. And it's like, well, man, he's got the skill set, and then he could hit those timing throws as a young guy. So there's a lot, there's a lot there. There's a lot there, but I do think there's got to be a next level to him because as you said, Justin Ross is back, but like Travis Etienne in the past game as a running back is as good as we've seen in recent years. And you take that away. They made a lot of money, but again, I just watched Justin Fields a lot. The arm strength, when you can make that out, that easy 10, 12 yard out, and a defense is so afraid of you, throwing the deep ball or the multiple explosive guys you have on offense, it's free money. And when you can have free money outs all game, he can hit six or eight outs where there's barely any coverage on it. And it's a first down every time. Justin Fields lived on that stuff. And when you're talking about arm strength, again, like Bryce Young can't do that right now. DJ can do that in his sleep. And so then you add the run threat. Then you add the fact that, man, he looked pretty good in rhythm as a young guy. There is a lot a lot there. And I thought he, we were both pretty, he's easily number two on this list. There wasn't much debate. Yeah. And you know, the interesting thing is it felt in that Notre Dame game a lot. It felt like, like Tony Ella did a great job. It felt like they were scheming around him a lot to try to make the game easy for him. Yes. And I'm curious now, now part of that could be just that he can't handle more than that. That definitely could be the case, but it also does make me feel like there's more there. Like you said that, that there's more that hasn't been tapped that, especially when you come out early in this Clemson schedule. I mean, obviously the Georgia game is going to be tough, but like after that, we're, Hey man, you're going to be throwing a lot of deep balls. You're going to be throwing a lot on the run. Like it it feels like, it feels like they let him show 20% of his game. And there's just maybe another, uh, another step to it. And honestly, to be quite honest, I I don't know what the talent evaluators are looking at when they have DJ and Bryce young coming out of high school. I mean, again, they, they evaluate different things. It's based on camp settings. Also like, we haven't seen Bryce Young actually have a fair shot. Like, I, I don't want to make this about Bryce Young, but like DJ just looks so much like. Like, I, I don't know how you have another guy ranked ahead of him. He just is the complete package. The floor is so high for DJ. Yeah, like at the yeah. very least, he's going to be a, a powerful guy in the pocket who's hard to sack and is going to get the ball out. 
And then on top of that, he's got a lot of upside. Yeah. Bryce just sort of has more moving pieces for everything to come right. together. And maybe it will, but like, again, yeah, in terms of like sure thing, right. it feels like DJ is much more of a sure thing. Yeah, no question. So Spencer Rattler's number one. Yeah. Again, I had Sam Howell ahead of mm-hmm. him. You had Spencer, Spencer Rattler ahead of Sam Howell. Is Spencer Rattler like clearly to you the best quarterback in college football? Or do you think he and Howell are close? I think he's clearly. Uh, Howell is is definitely number two, like not just on this list, but in college football. I think I think those two guys are on another planet than everybody else. The thing that impresses me about Rattler is, and again, I've, I've watched Oklahoma. I've covered Oklahoma for several years at this point. I mean, I've I've watched all those great guys come through. He throws the ball easier than any guy that i've ever seen come through oklahoma he throws it easier than baker he throws it easier than kyler it's not to say he's better than them but like the ball just like it looks like he's throwing a tennis ball like that, that's how crazy he is the only guy that i can even compare to it is patrick mahomes and you hear that comparison a little bit um you know but like that's that's how easily the ball comes out of his hands it looks like he's throwing nothing and so with Sam Howell, the thing that's interesting is that like he is so accurate with the deep ball, but it is very much like I don't want to call it a floating ball, but like it is he flings it up in the air and it goes like way high in the air and then just drops into the right place. And that is very impressive to me. But like Rattler's got it on a string and I think that he has it on a string everywhere on the field, you know, whether it's 10 yards down the field or whether it's 40 yards down the field, every pass looks similar and there was some talk last year at the beginning of the year because he had a couple of turnover issues. And and really the issue with Oklahoma was that they struggled to run the ball a lot. And so a lot was asked of him in his first and second and third start. You know, once once the season flipped and once they got Ramondre Stevenson back at running back, like he was he was unstoppable, man. He he was just crazy, crazy, crazy good. And Oklahoma's had a lot of good quarterbacks come through through the years. So I don't want to I don't want to, you know give him the expectations of having to be as good as those guys. But I, I see the vision on him. I mean, he is, I, I see every piece of why people like him so much. His, his ball placement is elite. His arm is elite. He moves very, very well. He keeps his eyes downfield. Uh, and, and again, in that offense too, I think he's just a perfect, perfect fit. You can see him at times almost like invite the rush. Cause he knows <laughs> he's going to get away from right. it. And then he's like, and I'm going to rip a throw in between three defenders 25 yards down the field and make this play. And that he is constantly confident. But it is a reminder. I think I think the way Rattler's season started last year, Oklahoma loses game two and game three. He throws three picks in game two in the loss to Kansas State. And he throws four picks in the two losses. And he throws three picks in every other game combined. Right. Is a, Is like a warning sign of like, why you wonder about C.J. Stroud and D.J. Uyunglele and Bryce Young and Haynes King because they're at the same place Rattler was a year ago. Right. And Rattler made a couple mistakes early, and then they got straightened out. But the time they got straightened out, Oklahoma was out of the playoff race. Right. So that, that's that been – we have talked about – I mean, that's on my mind all the time, knowing that Ohio State was in a quarterback battle. It's on my mind. Like, if you tell me Bryce Young's season looks a lot like Spencer Rattler's season, that makes a ton of sense to me. But if that means Alabama loses two games in the first month, they're out of the playoff race. And then by the end of the year, they might be the team that nobody wants to play, but it's too late. So when you're stacking these quarterbacks and trying to compare it, like Spencer Rattler is so far out ahead because he's gone through all the lumps and he's figured it out and he's made the mistakes that a lot of these other guys haven't made yet. Now, maybe they won't make them, but they probably will. And Rattler's been through that. And it's why Oklahoma is a great pick to win the national championship because there just are not a lot of matchups between 
veteran quarterback who's been through the fire and great talent. Like a lot of these other teams, there might be growing pains for the other guys where Rattler feels like he is in complete control at this point. Nimble wants to, is super confident in the face of anything a defense does to him, but does not want to run, wants to throw, keeps his eyes downfield, and then just rips that ball, man. Like you said, just, and and without much effort. So it's all there. We're not telling anybody anything they don't know about Spencer Rattler, but as much as I like him, I do, you know, I wonder if the mistakes lurk in there, like compared to Howell, right? I think Howell is almost more of just like the, you know, again, like the, the deep ball kind of drop back guy. Not that Howell can't run, he can, but Rattler, man, oof, you can see, I mean, you can imagine Rattler as good as the Georgia and Clemson and, Ohio and Alabama defenses are. You could imagine Rattler like ripping apart a great defense to win a national title. That's the kind of skill that guy has. Yeah. And, and you mentioned a little bit with, uh, with North Carolina that they are in a position where maybe their timelines aren't lining up. That's one thing that you say about Oklahoma in 2021 specifically is that it feels like, okay, you've got the five-star receivers who have been in the program for three or four years. You've got the running backs who have been in the program for a little while. You added the transfer in Eric Gray and and defensively you bring back all these guys for probably one more year and you're probably going to lose them after this year. So in a lot of ways, uh, this is a culmination season. Now, the one thing that I will say in terms of Spencer Rattler having a Heisman case is that he might not have to throw the ball as much as, as some of these other guys, right? Like that might be the one thing that could be a knock against him. But the question for me isn't whether he's going to be the best quarterback in college football and whether that's enough to win the Heisman. It's does he get to throw the ball enough? Is Oklahoma not just up by enough that maybe they play a little bit more conservatively in the regular season? So our final quarterback rankings of the nine playoff contenders, we agree that Spencer Rattler is number one. We agree that DJ Uyunglele is number two. Shahan had CJ Stroud of Ohio State number three. I had Stroud five. I had Brock Purdy of Iowa State three. Shahan had him six. We agree that JT Daniels of Georgia is four. Shahan had Bryce Young of Alabama five. I had Bryce Young of Alabama six. And then we agree on the bottom Haynes King of Texas A&M, seven, Jack Cohn of Notre Dame, eight, and Anthony Brown of Oregon, nine. We will take a quick break and come back with our question of the week. You can learn about us next on Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice, Shahan Jeharaja, we'd love to have you along on the text, 817-442-6789. You send the text to that number, you get signed up, you try it for two weeks, it's a dollar a month after that. It's an unbelievable deal. 817-442-6789. Is it my turn for the question of the week? It is. And also, turn. by the way, uh, you did say next on Buckeye Talk. Did I for real? You did. Someone said, did I say that before? Listen, Buckeye Talk's the show I've been doing for seven years. Man, are we going to edit that out or not? No, not leaving we, it. We got to run it's with it. Good. We got to run I'm, with I'm, it. I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm fallible. Man, I've been saying that for seven years. For seven years. God, for seven years. But I've been doing this for seven weeks, so I should, uh, much I should have it by yeah. now. <laughs> the college football playoff show i only got like four hours sleep last <laughs> night i didn't let's let's shahan the question this week is how much do you feel like your brain power has decreased since your peak because mine's down like that's actually not the question uh mine's down about 40 percent from where i was at my peak which is why we need you on this show because you're still peaking i do think people like some of like the inside baseball stuff some sure. people like this and some people 
Maybe you're bored by it. So how did you decide to do this job, Shahan? How did you get in to being a sports journalist? Did you always know you want to do it? Did you stumble into it? Did you decide halfway through your college career? How'd you get into this? Yeah, so coming out of high school, I did some of like the, the Bleach Report stuff when it was like amateurs. And, you know, I had a lot of fun doing it. Didn't really think it was meaningful or, or much of anything. Uh, and then I decided, you know what, like, maybe this is worth pursuing. So I applied to Northwestern, one of the best journalism schools, if not the best sports journalism school in America. Uh, I got rejected, figured that was a sign that this is not going to happen. And uh, ended up at Baylor my second year just for fun, did the school newspaper, didn't again, did not think anything of it. I just needed a hobby because I, had, you know, not the most social of people, which may be a surprise to some. And it was just immediately like, oh, OK, this is it. This, this, this is what I can do. This is what I'm good at. Yeah. And so went on through, got some good opportunities, was lucky, lucky enough to get hired out of college and just to cut building from there. But the, the one funny thing about me is that I, I, I don't know if I mentioned this before. So I was an NBA guy growing up and I, I still am an NBA guy. And I had never been to a college football game until I went to college. Mm. Yeah, I I followed the, the 05 Texas team because, you know, being in Dallas, you can't not obviously follow yeah. that Texas team and Vince Young. But, you know, I wasn't a college football guy growing up, uh, which I'm sure is going to invite a ton of really nice tweets into my mentions. But uh, but, you know, after I went to college, I just got obsessed. Like I, I just was like, oh, th this is really cool. And I want to know everything about it. And uh, yeah, here we are. However many years later. Crazy. So now I feel like I I went to Northwestern, so I'm, I'm sorry <laughs> that you didn't get in. Yeah, I, not only that, I applied early decision, and they're like, no, no, no. I, I mean, that's 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 just a mistake. <laughs> a world where it's like, I get in and you didn't. Some, they're doing something I, wrong in the admissions office. I will say, it is, uh, I, I mean, Baylor's a very good school. I don't want to, like, demean my own education. But, uh, you know, I will say, right, like, it is definitely gratifying to some extent to go through and meet the Northwestern folks and the Mizzou folks and the Georgia and Syracuse and whatever else, you know, all these great journalism schools and like me be like, oh, I went to a school that barely has a journalism program. So, you know, it all worked out OK for the both of us. We ended up in the same place. Yeah, no, I think it's good. It's like it's this is like another boost for you. Of like, <laughs> this is what a Northwestern guy <laughs> looks like. What? Why did I even apply there? Uh, so, um so I did, I just, there's a point in my life, it's like in high school, it's like, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And then I was like, I know what I want to do. I want to be a sports journalist and go to Northwestern. And I don't know how I got to that point, but that's what I wanted to do. <laughs> so uh, I went and I did it. And, you know, I was surrounded by great people and I, I wasn't one of them. I tell this story all, all the time. I didn't do anything at the newspaper my freshman year because uh, I was dumb and lazy. And I went in spring of my freshman year and I was like, hey, can I do something, you know, for the sports section of the student paper? And they're like, yeah, why don't we have a, a softball beat writer? Why don't you go with her to a game and like you can keep stats or help her out or whatever and she'll be the beat writer, but you can like go with her and sort of see what to do. And it was like, this was a, a young woman who had come in in the fall and was had her stuff together. But I was like, I'm not doing stats for somebody who's the same <laughs> year as me. I'm not doing that. And so, like, I just left and, like, I didn't do anything with the paper for, like, another two years. And the person who was the softball beat writer that I was like, I'm not doing stats was Rachel Nichols. So, <laughs> so like, that's if you're on the ball and dedicated to your craft, you might 
get to host a show on ESPN. And if you're like, I'm not doing stats, you wind up here. So, so that's on me. That's on me. That is amazing. So, oh my gosh. Yeah. So that's, that's my life. But then I got, um, I met my, my wife in journalism school and then they were doing interviews uh, to get jobs and stuff. And like a paper came through and they were like, we really like her. And she was like, well, I'm marrying this guy. If you want me, you've got to take him. And I was like, cool. And that's how I got my first job. And so that's, uh, wow. that's the story of my journalism career. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, those are different. Uh, those are definitely different stories. Uh, yeah. you know, it's, it's funny though. I think that the biggest thing that I, that I would say from all this is like, if you had told me when I was in high school that I would be, you know, full-time doing great covering college football. I probably wouldn't have believed you for a number of reasons. And, you know, it, it really is sometimes about just following the path that's set out in front of you. You know, it, it really is about find something that you're good at. I mean, my, my first beat over at the, uh, at the school newspaper, I did not have to keep stats uh, for another reporter who was covering softball, but uh, you know, I, I covered volleyball my first year. I'd never covered volleyball. I didn't know how the stats mm-hmm. worked, but I think that for me, it was just really cool to kind of be like, all right, let me learn. Let me figure this out. Like so much about honestly, so much about being a journalist and about being a writer or podcast or whatever is like learning how to figure things out. And so in so many ways, I think that like even today, I feel like I'm still that that same, you know, 18, 19 year old kid in the room trying to just figure out everything. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, just I, I think that for anybody who's listening, who's ever thought about doing anything like this, uh just just follow the path that's set out in front of you and try to take advantage of every opportunity. And I will say, if anyone took uh, note of this during like the quarterback discussion, for instance, Shahan had a lot of facts and figures and stats, and I'm still not doing stats. I'm like, I watched the spring game. Dabo said he's a gunslinger. You're like, PFF says this. So I continue. I still have a hole. I have a hole in my game that I haven't yet patched. Okay. Thanks, you guys, for joining us. North Carolina is out. Maybe they can work their way back in. Good luck to the Tar Heels. Now they have something to play for, Shahan. See, we were going to make them fa- Finally. fat and happy if we'd let them in. But Shahan said no. The texture said no. I said yes. They're out. Next week, Cincinnati in the first half of the show. And in the second half of the show next week, we are making our playoff picks. Because guess what? The season will be upon us. And then I'm really excited for when we have the first show after the season starts, because that's when we start, which is really kind of the basis of what we said the show would be. We welcome teams in, but we also kick teams out. But you can't kick people out in the preseason. We had to sort of like get this cohort of, we have at least nine, maybe Cincinnati will be the 10th. That's who we'll start the season with. And then we'll start seeing who's in, who's out. And that's what we'll do on the college football playoff show. Again, we'd love to have you as a tech subscriber, 817-442-6789. Make sure you're following us on Twitter, CFB Playoff Show. And uh, yeah, we, we're having a great time doing it. And we're hoping the audience jumps even more as the season starts. If you're listening and you have a college football friend, tell them to give us a shot. We'd certainly appreciate it. For Shahan Jeharaja, I'm Doug Maurice, And that is the College Football Playoff Show. <laughs>